Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosofsky here as usual with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hey, how are you today? Excellent. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. It's our it's our favorite time of year. Yes, it is. It's Tithmas. If, if anybody doesn't know, this is this is the term that people in in the in the local community or maybe maybe even it's a wider wider more widely used term. Uh, Tiffmas it refers to the when the Toronto International Film Festival is on. I hope I'm not spilling any industry secrets by saying that <laughs> when when this festival is on, we all refer to it as TIFF. Of course, you guys have heard us use you know TIFF. You guys call it TIFF, and so it's actually known as Tiffmas, which is you know a happy time for all cinephiles everywhere especially for us locals right because it's it's our it's in our town this time so it's opening night of the 46th edition of the toronto international film festival and there is a lot to talk about we're going to talk mostly about canadian films uh on this first episode but courtney has something special that he needs to tell us about yeah so there's because it's opening night i want to just draw your attention to a documentary that's playing tonight and it's called attica by stanley nelson and it is a documentary that looks at the attica correctional facility uprising that occurred in new york on september 9th um, 1971 so today marks the 50th anniversary of that incident and Stanley Nelson's documentary basically takes viewers back to that time and he, he speaks to the inmates, um, the, the guards, the people in the community, the journalists who just give you a sense of what occurred, um, how it shaped not only the way we, I guess, the policing and then the way that inmates are treated in America, but also it has a lot of ties to what's going on racially today in terms of um, law enforcement in the community. We're going to have a more in-depth review on it in a future episode, but since it's the 50th anniversary, I just wanted to bring your attention to it. You can still get tickets to the in-person screening tonight, or if you prefer to screen it digitally, it's playing um, tonight as well on the digital platform. And there's going to be other screenings, both in person and digitally throughout the week. Excellent. Yeah, sounds like a very important doc. Do you want to start off with another opening night uh, film that is playing? I guess the, the big opening night film? Yes. Okay. So the big opening night film playing is by someone that a lot of people know locally uh, as a filmmaker and as a former programmer for Imaginative. She she was actually the executive director of Imaginative. She programmed at TIFF. I mean, she's got this extensive career, but she also has uh, a long career in film, uh, making uh, short films up to this point, but also different media, like she's made some VR works and stuff. And uh, the main theme, bringing her work together that drives her work is the theme of, you know, Canada's ugly colonial legacy and in this film her first feature she really brings uh brings us a vision of this uh in the form of a 
dystopian post-war future. It's a genre cinema piece. Um, and to me, it's, it's just startling the way that she uh, sets it in the future, and yet he so powerfully comments on the present and the past, this colonial legacy that Indigenous folks in Canada are still grappling with, and that we as a society are still grappling with and coming to terms to, and, and it looks like are still going to be coming to terms with for, for a long time. The story of the film is that a, a destructive war has happened across North America, and now there's a military occupation controlling society. Um, one of the, the main taxes tactics to control the people is to take their children anyone under 18 you know is forced to go into this academy and it's basically like a, a retraining kind of you know they're making their own soldiers basically um to control the population and the one of the very spooky spooky things about it is once you lose your kid to that the kid doesn't even know you the kid will you know it's kind of programmed not to even recognize you. Uh, so it's, it's quite uh, devastating. Um, and what happens in the film is our main characters are Niska, a Cree mother, and she's trying to protect her daughter from this, this system and this, because her daughter of course is under 18 and, um, and due to like the dire conditions of society and everything, like you see, you see how everybody's like really suffering in this, under this control. And besides having their kids taken away from them, which is, you know, there are some quite uh, devastating scenes in the film um, that do that. Um, and Dana Goulet's vision is, is really, it comes through very strongly in this and, and that, that is something I think that that is um, it's it's a major aspect of the film's power is the way that she uses the the tools of cinema to to make even like to give us even the most subtle clues about uh, what's going on like in terms of even even the lighting even the way film the film is shot. Um, the lighting of of the world, this this awful dystopian world, you know, with this sort of blue hue to it, uh, versus when uh, she is around the Cree community and the Cree elders, and their world is lit with fire. They're in nature. It's it's firelight, and so firelight like it it produces a warm light and a warm glow on people's faces um and yeah i i think this is a very powerful film she's like she's amazing um with uh with the the way she handles tension and suspense and and the, the control she has of it because i felt like um she had this ability to deliver a shock but it never felt like a cheap thrill you know like like in some horror films, it never felt like that to me. Um, and and she she's able to create this sort of ancient mythic quality, but also an urgent quality that is conducive with the fact that it's recent history. Yeah, she definitely has a a 
masterful grasp on on genre filmmaking. Um, I I quite enjoyed this film, and for many of the reasons that you had just outlined, I you know there's something about the the art design, the the look of the worlds that um, the characters kind of go through that I I just found fascinating, and and maybe it's that that coldness of the of the I guess city compared to the the warmth that comes with the the community even if it's a community she's not um the main character is not niska's not familiar with uh i just really liked how this film incorporates history and culture into its genre format and in a way that is so digestible and you know regardless of how much you know about the plight of the indigenous population in canada this film tells you a lot of things without ever being preachy uh you know so i'm guaranteed there's gonna be people that just watch it as a really good genre film and not realize that suddenly they're, they're getting all of this information uh downloaded on them and it, it works i have minor quibbles with the ending um but again i think that could just be more my expectation than um what actually occurs uh but outside of that i think it's a wonderful film the performances are great and it really does put you into a world where within moments you feel like you completely understand the rhythms of the world the the types of characters um you feel the actual you know heartbreak that some characters have to do especially with the choices that they have to make or choices that they've made in the past that have kind of come back to bite them in the butt the way they they weren't anticipating. So yeah, overall, I think it's just a, a really strong film. Okay. Let me just um, add something. Uh, it sounds like we're both recommending the film and let me just say something because uh, I'm going to use this same point as a way of introducing the next film I'm going to talk about, uh, which is uh, by a, another indigenous filmmaker the film is called wildhood but something about the ending of both wildhood and night raiders you know where you know um to address what you said about some quibbles you know i uh the ending of of night raiders there was this sort of reaction that i i felt at the end of it um that i felt at the end of wildhood which i think i watched like i watched them one after the other and i realized i was sort of having this same sort of split reaction which was like my brain was saying that doesn't make sense and my heart was saying yes it does <laughs> and so i i really I, I thought about it because it was quite the reaction i mean i could could not fault either ending uh, but they didn't sit right for a little while. And then when I thought about it, I realized that um, I probably, for me anyway, has to do with um, with expectations I have, at least in my logical brain, about, you know, narrative structure and how things work out, you know? Does mm-hmm. that make any sense? Yeah, no, no, it does. It does. And I, I realized that maybe maybe we should rethink storytelling right when you come from a different culture there's a different way of storytelling things make sense in different ways so i don't know if that sounds crazy on my part 
No, no, yeah. I, I I get that because there, there are a lot of times where we kind of go in with the the ending that we expect, and then when we're not quite given that, um, sometimes we falsely say, "Oh, well, the ending didn't work for certain ways." When instead of looking at it in terms of the way that the the filmmaker actually intended us to to be viewing yeah. it. Yeah, so that that's what I got in, from the ending of both of these films. And before you know, before I say any more about the ending of, I mean, I guess I don't have anything to say about the ending of Wildwood beyond that. But I should fill everybody in on <clears throat> Wildhood. Uh, it's a film by Batten Hannum, and uh, it's a feature film. And uh, it's about um, a, a young man and his kid brother. They're half brothers, but they have the, they have the same abusive father, and they just they, things get to be too much, and they just have to they have to get away from there, and they embark on a journey. Um, Link is our main character, and Link being the half-brother of the younger one, he has a Mi'kmaq heritage um, and a mother that he hasn't seen since he was a baby. And through, you know, a series of circumstances, he ends up taking, uh, taking his brother along for safety, but also taking his brother along on this journey uh, to find her, which, you know, then becomes a journey of discovering his Mi'kmaq heritage. Um, it's a journey of discovery. It's a, you know, it's a road trip kind of film, except mostly on foot. And they uh, they run into a mysterious young man, a mysterious character uh, named Pasme. Pasme is a Mi'kmaq young man who fully embraces his heritage and uh, he's trying to figure out how to go um, to an event so that he can perform a traditional dance uh, and they all get sidetracked along the way but you know they all come together um, and also during the course of the story Link uh, connects with um, his own sexuality and and discovers like the true nature of his two-spirited um his two-spirited nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I really liked about the film was uh, the way, the way that, that it starts, you know, it, with this nasty, awful, abusive father. And, you know, again, it's, it's in terms of the filmic elements, you know, at the beginning, things are very tightly framed um, in a kind of a, claustrophobic like the violence is there and it's sort of like trying to break through the frame but you, it's like the these young boys are trying to escape it and so we get them in a very very tight close-up um it, but it also mirrors that world the tension it, it, like it adds to the tension of living in that kind of situation but once they meet up with and get comfortable with Pasme, uh who's got a completely different personality completely different view of life uh the film literally i know people use that word too much but the film literally opens up the shots get wider they're they encompass more um the film gets brighter there's daylight there's sunshine and you know things th things get more poetic idyllic scenes happen you know and then there's this ending where some people may go, hmm, 
but I still think just like in Night Raiders, like these are both Night Raiders and Wildhood are both um, amazing experiences. Yeah, this is one that I wasn't sure I was going to like at first, um, partly because, as you said, the the violence of it is so claustrophobic at the beginning. Like it just I wasn't sure I was going to be in the mood for a a gritty take on indigenous life just because I've seen so many of those type of films. And this one did not turn out to be that. Like I was pleasantly surprised by this one. And as you said, as they, you know, hit the open road, the two half brothers and, you know, they meet this teen drifter. There's a moment where they stop to rest and they realize that they, they smell. So they, they just go into the lake to, to bathe. And it's like the first moment of joy that you you realize like wow we've been sitting here for 10 15 minutes and this is actually the first time we're actually just seeing them be happy young men you know be able to play frolic and then it really opens up and as the emotions start to open up and link's trying to you know wrestle with his feelings um for this drifter and the unresolved issues he has with his his mother this film kind of takes you through different aspects of the community that you don't quite get. Like you meet characters that in any other film would have been caricatures, but here they actually just feel like real life people, you know, that may not necessarily have followed the same beaten path that Travis and, or Lincoln Travis are, are used to. So it, yeah, I think it, this film worked surprisingly well. It was a lot more, uplifting and engaging um, dare i say sensual at times than i was anticipating and i think it's a really interesting take on both like the road movie and i would say coming of age film as well yes yes absolutely i think i think you're right there uh, so keeping on the theme of of coming of age films i think there's a film that everyone should check out and it's called scarborough and it is a film that I guess is an adaptation of Catherine Hernandez's award-winning book of the same name. And it follows three kids in um, a low-income neighborhood in Scarborough and the way how their lives kind of intersect the, the bonds that they, they make as a few of them live in the same building, but they all kind of inhabit the same community um, center that has just started up for for kids and their parents or guardians so that they can kind of come and get a meal before breakfast, you know, learn how to read, do just different activities. And I was I was really taken by this film because the as you see, as you follow each kid, the film kind of jumps back and forth between each kid and their parents and you kind of see the circumstances. So there's one individual being who's mother is leaving is fleeing an abusive relationship um sylvie is living with her mother and father and her brother who has autism but isn't quite diagnosed yet and essentially like a a motel kind of housing um complex and then you have laura who's splitting time between both parents a mother that frequently leaves her places um, and a father who has serious anger issues. And you're just kind of left to soak in this world. And 
see how these kids navigate from fall to the, the next spring. There's a lot of hardship that occurs in this film. It's a very emotional film, but yet I never felt that it was being manipulative. And even in its darkest moments, I always felt that the film had a sense of hope. Um, and a lot of that comes through the kids themselves, like their performances, but just the overall um, way that these characters are drawn. Like you really feel that you know these people, you know this community, you understand the the hardships they're going through, but also how the systems that are designed to quote unquote help them are repeatedly failing them. Yes, I completely agree. I I saw I agree with that assessment. Um, it was very gripping, and I I think a lot of that has to do with the filmmakers. And there's two filmmakers in this case. Um, we know. Shasha Nakai's work with shorts and she made a documentary called Take Light uh, and her uh, Rich Williamson, I think was her like cinematographer in Take Light. Um, yes, Take Light. And um, I think they're they're partners both partners. professionally and yeah. personally. But yeah, he's yeah. also a talented filmmaker himself. Yeah, so she, she they both have like this great eye for for moments you know and for for people for capturing people um i love the way that they captured this sense of community uh anytime anybody's moving around outside um they're especially uh sylvie i think sylvie is is the kid that is the most chatty and friendly and and so she's always walking by people and having conversations with them and they're people in the neighborhood so it's got this wonderful sense of community um, and the the kids themselves, the acting's great, uh, but the kids themselves, uh, they're, they're all so amazing and so captivating. The interplay between them, like, especially, no, no, I mean, I was going to say, especially when they have, you know, happy moments, um, but no, even when there are difficult moments, these kids have this sort of spark, this sort of rapport um, that is it, it is it's really hard, I think, for people to manufacture. You know, like these kids are just authentically so. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, there there are some fabulous fabulous moments and yeah when the system fails people i mean this this um this can can really be a heartbreaker so it i found that it you know like like wildhood it started off gritty and sort of shifted a bit and this one shifts a bit but this one shifts into something where well I, i'll admit it i had to pull a kleenex and that wasn't just because you know everything was horrible like sometimes I pulled out the Kleenex because it actually there's something there's something quite uplifting that happens to somebody at the end. It really got me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was moved by this. And you know me, I got a heart of stone. But this one really <laughs> this one really hit me hard. Like it's, um, you know, it's one of my favorites of the fest so far. And I, one of the things I also liked about this and, and all three films that we've mentioned so far all have a through line of community. You know, individuals who, no matter how hard 
their life is or things have gone, they've still been able to form a sense of community. They still kind of look out for the people in the neighborhood who are just as downtrodden as them. In Wildhood, we saw, you know, strangers kind of pick up people and give them rides in the rain because they could see that they needed help. And this film, there's a lot of that. Like the the community is tight-knit as best as they they can be in this situation. And it's often juxtaposed with the well-off people, um, in this case, predominantly the, the, the white individuals who think that if they just, you know, throw a bit of money or if others see them being successful, that it'll inspire. And it's like, no, the system doesn't work that way. And or they, whether- they seem to think that they have the answers when they exactly. haven't got a clue. Yep. They haven't got a clue what's going on. And what I also really liked about this film is in other films where they talk about children in um, low-income circumstances, you know, the Florida, Florida Project, what have you, there's, all, there's often a fantastical element to it where the children escape through fantasy or play or the communities that they show are predominantly all minority that are, are struggling. Whereas here, you don't have that fantasy escape. These kids have to, you know, what you're seeing is exactly what they're experiencing. And by including someone like Laura, who is white, it is showing that when people think of low-income community, like, you know, you talk about Scarborough here in Toronto, a lot of people automatically think minorities. And it's like, no, you know, white people are affected by this too. Like, you know, poverty impacts everyone in, in the community. You know, you have to lift the entire community up and then everyone will be able to, to move forward. Right. So it's just a, it was just a really well done film that hit me a lot harder emotionally than I was expecting, but in a way that I still walked out being like, wow, that was a great film. And I still felt that there's hope in life. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I hear you there. Um, I'm going to make a weird little jump to <laughs> another film. That's okay. That's what a tips all about. But completely different, but Canadian film. Uh, the new documentary about Oscar Peterson. It's called Oscar Peterson Black and White. It's a film by Barry Averich. It, it's a, it's an anniversary of sorts for uh, for Oscar Peterson, right? And this is a very um, mostly upbeat, but it's definitely a, a celebration of uh, of Oscar Peterson. Who, if you don't know is one of Canada's greatest jazz musicians, or like definitely one of the most famous. And uh, and he played the piano and he played with uh, all the greats, Lester Young, Roy Eldridge, Sonny, Sonny Stitt, Stan Getz, and he even toured with Ella Fitzgerald. And he grew up in uh, Montreal, working class neighborhood, working class family. And he just, it's it's fascinating some of the biographical stuff about his his childhood you know he just seemed to have this like genius genius affinity for the piano and and how his style has been described as like some people just can't musicians can't even keep up with all the notes that he seemed to be able to play like he just just played with such a virtuoso kind of kind of brilliant style um the film is structured so it, because it's a celebration the film is structured as sort of part biography and partly a, a sort of look at this 
group of musicians who've gathered together and uh, Canadian musicians who've gathered together and are uh, doing a tribute to him uh, because of COVID, they're doing it in sort of a studio type space. Um, and every each one is like playing on songs. Uh, you know, bass, there are bass players and drummers and stuff taking turns playing on the songs, but there are actual piano players, other pianists in Canada, like Joe Seeley, who who sit down and and have a have a stab at playing a tribute by playing one of Oscar's songs. And I wish I wish that this film was more like the Miles Davis doc, where if you're going to talk, I, I did appreciate all those people doing that, but I wish, like, I found that part distracting. So that that is, in a sense, a way of situating him within a community in Canada. But it seems kind of removed. He has passed away. They're alive. I don't want to hear them. I mean, I like them. I like, you know, when people pay, play tribute, but I'd rather learn more about Oscar Peterson. And if you're going to start off by telling me about and going into such detail about his style, give me more. If you have to do the archival footage, do the archival footage, you know? Um, and I mean, there's great, like all sorts of people talk about Oscar Peterson. There's great docs that are not just arch. Uh, not docs. Uh, there are great interviews that are not just archival interviews. There's there's plenty of people that that are very well known that talk about Oscar Peterson and how great he is. I'm not saying I know better how to do this. I'm just saying that when it came to celebrating an artist and his genius, the the latest Miles D Davis doc that came out, um, I think that was the way to celebrate an artist. Uh, yeah, like a better a better template to, a better, to build yeah, on a better, a better approach a better template this was just more workmanlike you know it didn't feel special it felt like you know when sometimes when people um have authorized biographies released on them well he's mm -hmm. not alive so he can't do that but this sort of felt like the authorized biography version in film yeah okay so um, but it's Oscar Peterson, and I think like it's a fantastic introduction. And people, you know, people in the community, I don't mean any disrespect to any of the artists that actually appeared in the film to play as part of the tributes. Mm -hmm. No disrespect whatsoever. I just, I just don't think it works as a film to do the two things, you know, to do the biography and the tribute. It yeah. didn't weave together as as succinctly as it could have. Oh, okay. Well, you know, since you took us on a on a different direction, I'm going to steer us on another different direction. We've been talking a lot about features and um, documentaries, but there's also a whole lot of great Canadian shorts playing yes. The, yes. the festival as well. So, you know, try and make a point to catch one or two of the short programs. I can't remember the number. They usually have like, um, five or six and they're yes. every year they're they're wonderful a lot of the the great gems and filmmakers that you'll know some up-and-coming filmmakers so so definitely check out these shorts um, one thing i want to add is that of the features that we've spoken about 
some of them and the feature, you know, we will be talking about more Canadian features. Some of those individuals, you, at least you and I, but a lot of us had discovered through their shorts. So they're coming oh, here right. maybe with their, with their first feature. Uh, but like people like us get excited to see their first feature because we saw their short. So in terms of discovery, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, so there's a lot of great shorts. Um, one I'll bring up that I think we both saw was a short called Together by Albert Chin. Yes. And yes. it's a you know 13-minute short film about these two strangers who meet at a seaside motel in, in South Korea. Um, they've, I, I, you get the impression that they've only met each other via this online communication and you're not quite sure why they're there at that motel, but they essentially are going to be there for at least a few days. And as the film starts to unravel a bit and you realize why they're there, it's actually quite an ingenious approach because the dialogues that they have and the conversations aren't really about the, the reason why they're there. In many ways, it's these two people who are learning about each other because of the circumstance that they have both put themselves in. Yeah, and it's like a pact. It's like a pact. Yeah. Come because of some sort of pact. But yeah. Yeah. It's just the conversation doesn't have to do with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you, you know, you kind of experience them. I don't want to say live life, but they... In many ways, they came kind of dour, and then as they get to know each other, their spirits are lifted, um, and to the point where you, as a viewer, almost forget why they're there, but then you're kind of reminded why they're there. And it's I can't dive into exactly what happens, but I I highly recommend it. I think it's a a wonderful short that tells a nice complete story that makes you think a lot about it afterwards when it's done. Yes, I completely agree. Um, Albert Shin is like a master of subtlety, uh, if, but evocative, right? He knows he knows how to make a situation, uh, and just the the wordlessness, the times when it's wordless, uh, and then versus the times when it's chatty. Uh, he, he, there's just so much nuance. Albert Shin can get out of it, you know. Like you said, this is what a 13 minute short. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and yet there's so much that, that you get out of it. And and there's this release at the end <laughs> that is so unexpected. It's, um, yeah, gives you a lot to think about. And uh, I've, this is one of the best films of, at TIFF so far, I think, mm -hmm. together by Albert Shin. And it's part of Shortcuts YYZ edition. So they, that's one of the programs. Yeah, that. and another film that I think is playing in that um, edition um, as well, that same program block, is a Canadian short called named Defund um, by Khadija Roberts Abdullah and Araya Mangesa. And I, my apologies if I've mispronounced their names, but it's a, I found a really amusing short uh, about these two twins who are living together and because of COVID and the pandemic, they're essentially stuck in their apartment. They have their routines down packed, but they really can't do 
much in life because everyone's everything is locked down. So you got to get a glimpse of their daily routines, the the sibling bickering that that occurs. And one day um, after the Toronto City Council had refused to defund the police, they feel that they need to act like they they can't be activists at home by simply watching Ava DuVernay's 13th and all these other documentaries. So they decide they're going to take it to the streets and come up with this idea to, I guess, posterize High Park with defund posters. And the story kind of evolves from there. They meet an individual that they weren't expecting to, and it offers a really unique look at the whole movement to defund the police. In many ways, it, it breaks down the actual meaning of defund the police and how defunding can actually benefit society. Uh, it's, you know, defund the police has been a term that's been highly politicized and a lot of people have kind of twisted it around to make it seem like it's the eradication of police completely and lawlessness when they, and, you know, these, this film kind of rebukes that and, what I like about it is it takes a very humorous approach to a, a serious topic. It's I find it gets its message across via humor, which allows people who might have been a little more reluctant to listen to to digest all that information. And then also they show that when it comes to making social change, even if you have even if we're all in agreement that the world needs changing, not everyone has the exact same blueprint on how it should be. And even these two individuals who are adamant that things need to change kind of have differing views of what that entails, right? So I don't know I thought it was overall a good message, but just I, I like the fact that they added humor because when you're dealing with topics like this, it's often very serious, very heavy. And I, it's, it's nice to once in a while be able to laugh while still, you know, thinking about um, racial injustice. Yes, yes. I love this one as well. Uh, I, I loved it for all those reasons. I also loved it because of its, I think the, the humor comes from this dynamic style, like the way it uses video editing, the way it uses the screen, and um, uh, the way it divides the screen up and puts it back together in different ways. <laughs> um, and also this, this very subtle way um, as you said, when it comes to everyone, you know, who sees and agrees on a certain message, like defund the police, how different, like, I love the fact that there's a diversity presented in, in this short, like ever so succinctly, ever so quickly, but very impactfully, that it shows that there's a diversity of opinions as to what that means, you know, the details of that uh, when it comes down to it. Yes, you know, I, I, if people are in agreement with that, with that, right. But even the twins, like, <laughs> it, anyway, it is, it's, it's in a very funny way. Um, and uh, I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think, I think it's brilliantly made. Uh, that's defund. And uh, okay, so I want to uh, talk about a film in that program called Manith, The Hidden Island of Ethics. It's an NFB film by Terrell Calder, uh, who's returning you know, to the festival. People 
who know NFB films will know Terrell Calder's work. This is stop motion animation about a little girl and her identity and the damage that is done from the messages received uh, going back to, you know, the damage done by the colonial past, the damage that is done to, you know, an indigenous child with all the messages coming at that child, you know, and, and how identity, identity is so hard, you know, for any child form. And then you have your identity taken. I mean, you have your identity damaged. you like, you doubt yourself, you know, it's, but it's this like, it, it's this embodiment of a beautiful little person, right? In this stop motion character. And in the, uh, in the, it's, it's a very hard film to describe because it's, it's not like narrative. It's like, it's more, everything's happening in, in a very symbolic way, uh, which makes it even more effective, which makes it even more impactful because it has this incredibly visceral effect in, in such a way that like I felt this like incredible fury that made no made no sense. I mean it made sense considering the content, but the film itself was able to to create that in the viewer. If, if you know what I mean, it's a, the, the the best thing I can say about a film is that it's hard to describe. If you mm. can describe it too well in words, there's something not filmic about it sometimes, you know. And I think with animation, that that often holds. Um, so, you know, we're talking about uh, shortcuts, YYZ edition, and beneath the hidden island of ethics by Terry Calder is is in that program so you know you'll you guys will see what i'm talking about it's a, yeah, no another one since you're talking about hard to describe films i'm going to talk about um the short film nuisance bear which is a film a short film that i absolutely loved and i was not expecting to <laughs> and it's a film that basically looks at the annual polar bear migration that occurs in churchill manitoba and how the migration has brought a lot of tourism to the area, um, but because of that influx of tourism and it's it's kind of started to blur the lines in the sense that the polar bears have gotten a little too, how should we say, familiar with uh, the human world. So the whole short, I don't think there's a single bit of dialogue. It's just you're, the camera is literally just following the polar bears or a particular polar bear as it you know walks across the highway and it shows that there's they have in manitoba these special units that are designed to shoo the polar bears away and scare them when they're a little too close to um the human world in many cases so the film opens with this great tracking shot of this polar bear and then you start to see the hydro lines. And then as you see it's walking, there's like all these police cars that are blocked off the road so that they can pass. And it the whole film just takes uses the sounds of the environment. So you'll hear kids coming off school buses for one shot. The birds, the, the sequence where the polar bear is trying to get into a particular facility. 
Um, and he tries several times. And there's just these birds that are there. And it's almost, an, it's almost shot in a way as if the bear is talking to the birds in their own, like, kind of animal language. And the birds are like, no, you ain't getting in here. Just don't try. And like, <laughs> whereas, like, you know, foxes and what are eating garbage. And so it's just, you know, it, it's a very fascinating film. And for, I think it's like 14 minutes, 13, 14 minutes, you're just observing the the span of this bear and you know it sometimes it's quiet and then you'll hear like the helicopters coming in and the loud boom noises to scare the bears away and you know there's a great shot of the bear walking on the regular streets in front of a stop sign you know and just it's just a fascinating film i it's one of those where i say you just have to see it and immerse yourself in it um i never thought i cared about the bears in manitoba but apparently now i do so <laughs> it is a, yeah it is a uh a, a great film that I, I would recommend. And uh, the last short that I will talk about is The Shaman's Apprentice um, by Zachariah Kunuk. And that is the director who, you know, brought us Archinajet, The Fast Runner, um, the, the Searchers, um, his version of The Searchers that he did, I think, in 2016, which was, was great. This time it's a, an animated tale about this shaman and her apprentice um, that are summoned to heal this man who has some type of ailment and in order for them to do it they have to kind of figure out what's wrong with him but he won't quite talk so you know they have to essentially go to the underworld to find out what has caused his ailment and how to to cure it and it's you know, obviously very mystical. The animation is a mix of puppetry, computer animation, stop motion. Um, but it's just a, it's a really wonderful looking film. And the way how it steeps culture with this, I don't even want to say an adventure, sir, but this journey into the, the depths, you know, as Alice going down the rabbit hole, but the rabbit hole is one where you're climbing down and literally your soul you could see the skeletal outlines of your soul left there on the stone. So for, for you to come back, you have to make sure you get recollect that moment. It's just, it's a really fascinating short. And, you know, the apprentice is essentially the observer of all of this. And in many ways, she's being schooled that you have to be tough. Cause if you go down further on, you know, they will smell your fear and uh, whatnot. It's just a, a really fascinating short film where by the end of it, I was like, I want more. I would love to see, you know, if this was done in the feature and see the apprentice go on, you know, her own journey. Um, but yeah, it was just a really interesting and unique way to tell the story that it does. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I was, it's a pleasant surprise. A, and that's the thing with Tiff. There's a lot of pleasant surprises, old and old and new. Yes. Um, so let's just, uh, let's just finish off with, uh, one of Canada's most celebrated filmmakers who's got a long and storied career, who just celebrated a birthday at the end of August, her 89th birthday, still making films, Alanise Abomsuin, who she's a pioneer um, in terms of uh, putting forward indigenous issues, um, filming in the indigenous community, lots of, you know, documentaries behind the scenes where no one else would get access, but there she is. And she has 
this history of being in places that sometimes were even dangerous, like, you know, Kanasataki. But she has always felt this need to document and to, to put forward the truth of Indigenous life in Canada. And so TIFF this year is celebrating her very long, very storied career. And there are there are a lot of films. She's got more than TIFF is showing because she's got over 80. Um, so it, that would be really difficult <laughs> to show at one festival. Um, I'm only laughing because, yeah, it's 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 prolific. Shocking. It's a prolific it's career. So, yeah. How many people have 80 films? Um, so the best thing I can recommend is for people to go to tiff.net and the program's called Celebrating Alanis Abomswin. And please check it out, uh, especially if you don't know her. But even if you do, like go back, revisit. Um, a lot of a lot of what she was filming, a lot of what people in her films were talking about, unfortunately, is still relevant, current today. Um, and yeah, let's celebrate someone who's 89 years old and still still active in the filmmaking community. This is, you know, this is exciting. Yes, it is. Yep. Okay, so that is it for our opening night show of TIFF 21, the 20, 2021 edition of the Toronto International Film Festival. And of course, we will have lots and lots and lots more. Stay tuned and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.